0: If you've ever um, experienced the challenge of hearing loss or beginning to lose the ability uh, to hear, or you know someone uh, who has, and I believe it's over 50% of our population in this country, 65 and older, who do struggle with that. So if you're not there, you're, we're likely headed there. You also know one of the challenges that comes with that is the struggle of not knowing what you or the person might be missing. There's words being spoken, there's conversation being had, uh, but the person's struggling to hear them. That's physical. Spiritually, in the spiritual world, people can also be hard of hearing. And it's one of the reasons the biblical authors will use a number of different devices to get the attention of the hearers. Jesus, on numerous occasions, will instruct a people... And then he'll end by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That is, it's natural to have ears, but not all have ears to hear. It's a way of saying, if you can hear, listen up. Pay close attention. Luke 9, Jesus says, let these words sink into your ears. Well, here we are moving through the letter of 1 John written by the Apostle John in the latter part of the first century, John uses another device to get attention. And it is a common device. It's repetition. Repetition. We come to a text in 1 John chapter 4 that John has not only addressed this theme once, he's not only addressed this theme twice, now he is addressing it for a third time. And that is the theme of love, one of the mega central themes that runs through all of the Bible love. And it seems to me, perhaps, the scriptures not only repeat themes because those themes and subjects are of great importance, but because also they may be the areas that we struggle the most in. They may be the most challenging for us. So it's first John chapter four, uh seven through eleven. Let's give our attention to God's Word. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John uses the word love Dozens of times in these five chapters of this letter. In fact, in various forms, 51 times. If you were to sit down and read through all of this letter, you'd be hearing this over and over and over again. This is a way that he's communicating, listen up, are you getting it? Is it getting through? And the theme takes focus in three main places through the letter. One in chapter 2, Verses seven through 11, a second time in chapter three, 11 through 18, and now in this passage before us. So he's mentioned the word many, many times, but he stops and focuses in on it uh, in more detail uh, in those three areas. And he hits on three different aspects of love: God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for one another. And I think John perhaps of the twelve, we could call the the, the disciple or the apostle of love. He knew and he felt the deep love of Christ. He's the one whom Jesus loved, as he refers to himself through the Gospel of John. Uh, He was the one there in the upper room in John chapter 13 in his Gospel, when they were sharing the Passover meal and Jesus broke bread we're told that he was leaning, resting upon the bosom, the chest of Christ. That's a picture of fellowship and friendship and love. He heard Jesus say in that room, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Earlier in Christ's ministry as a follower of the Lord Jesus, he heard Jesus respond to the lawyer's question in Matthew 22. What's the great commandment? And Jesus making a beeline to Deuteronomy 6, and Leviticus 19 goes to two commands on love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. A second like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love was central to the teaching, to the ministry, to the work of our Lord Jesus. John is c- continuing that theme through this letter. Yet again, we face a real challenge. I think an increasing challenge in our day and age. And it has to do with words, the meaning of of words, the use of words. John in this text is getting to the root of what this word love is about, this agape love, this charitable love. Where does it come from? Who defines it? What defines it? What does it look like? And he does that first by identifying the origins of this love. Where does it have its beginning? So he says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then he says, God is love. So he is getting to the root, to the core, the origins of this love. And we know words are very powerful. Words can create life. Words can cut, create death in a sense. They're powerful, not only because of their meaning, but because their meaning can be distorted and misapplied, misused. In thinking about the importance of words, I'm uh, drawn back to those words and that great line from the princess bride, Inigo Montoya. You keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. You keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. How true that is, of the word love in our culture today. We have a different understanding as Christians from God's word of what love is. We live in a society, in many ways, that bases its understanding and demonstration of love on the self. Love begins with me, says the world, and then I project my understanding, my thoughts, my actions onto the concept of love, and that's what makes love love. That's what defines it. So love becomes whatever you say it is. Love becomes whatever you say it is. Whatever I say it is. And it's how a society gets to a point where you read signs now that are produced that say love is love. We don't even, we don't know. It's just kind of a circle. Everyone, anyone can define love. Love is anything. Love is whatever you want it to be. In contrast, John says to know what this love is, this agape love, one must know what God, His character and works are about. As he says, love is not only from God, but God is love. And one of the wonderful things about the way John has worded this passage is that the love he's exhorting us to is not merely an imitational kind of love. That is, a love that we imitate or reflect. It's that as well, but it is more than that. This is a love that results in a participation in God, with God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And that's a a knowledge that is not only about the Lord, but a saving relational uh, kind of knowledge. Uh, Recall John's opening words in this letter where he said, That which was from the beginning, the word of life, that which we've seen and heard, we're proclaiming to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Our Christian life and our life of faith, our life of love, is much more than a reflection of God's character. It is a new life of fellowship and communion with God Himself. How easy it is to lose the wonder of this truth. That we've not only come to know about this God, we have come into fellowship with this living God. Having been born of Him through the sacrificial death of Christ, we become a child of God. His DNA, if we want to put it that way, His DNA comes to live within us. Uh, It's been on my to-do list for a few years, and that is at some point to spend some time researching my own family uh, genealogy. My folks have some documentation I'd like to pick up on that. Uh, Maybe some of you have researched your own. Um, But there's so many resources out there uh, today for this kind of thing. Uh, Even if you can get back four, five, six generations, it's a great reminder where you came from and that you came from somewhere. We're not mere autonomous beings, born in a vacuum with a blank slate. We have generation after generation coming from other places around the country, perhaps immigrating from other countries and continents, passing on traditions, beliefs, characteristics, all the way down to your mom and dad giving to to you your DNA. Much has given shape to us from our physical traits, where we are born and raised, the values instilled, the social environment around us, the cultural influences, all these things affecting the kinds of people we are or we might be. But then something comes along. More powerful than any of those things. More powerful than mom and dad though ideally it would come through them. And that is the great, heavenly, foreign love of God. You remember what he said in chapter 3, verse 1. See, look what kind, what nature of love the Father has given to us, that we would be His children. And so we are. We know what this agape or charity love is because we have been loved. And one cannot know it or live it until they are loved and know that love from Him. It's not only a reflective, imitative love. It's a transformative love. John calls us a couple times in this passage, Beloved, we are the beloved of God and thus born of Him. So this love changes people. Let's unpack this phrase, for a bit, God is love. When John says this, he is identifying something more than a characteristic or attribute of God. Our God is a person. He is a being. He has characteristics and attributes. He is faithful. He's long-suffering. He's eternal. He's wise, immutable. These are all characteristics of God. But if we were to ask the question, what's the nature of God? How might we answer that? What's the nature of our God? His, his basic qualities, fundamental disposition, if we want to put it that way. Three different times, this apostle identifies more of the core nature of God. One, he said in chapter 1, God is light. That is, there is no darkness in God. He is Pure, spotless morally. Second, he says God is spirit. Not in the letter here, but in his gospel, John chapter 4, verse 20, 24. God is spirit. God cannot be bound by space or time, physicality. And then a third time. John says here, God is love. So to say God is love is to get more to the core of the nature of who God is. It's saying more than God loves. He does love. He acts in love. But here John says God is love, which means central to His nature, as one person put it, is a settled disposition toward us, that flows from His being, His nature and His divine attributes. Who God is by nature is one who pours out. That is that agape, that is that charity. This is a God who creates where there was nothing, who gives, who blesses. So it is His nature to give of Himself. C.S. Lewis called this agape love, gift love. Lewis said, in God there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. This kind of love in us enables us to love those who to us are naturally unlovable. And that's where John is going here. This love is what transforms and enables us to love in like manner. So this is a love that's not just to be known in our minds or understood, studied, or preached about. It is to be rejoiced in. Remember what the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians in chapter 3. Well-known words. That Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. To know the love of Christ that surpasses Knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a love that is immeasurable. It goes beyond our comprehension. It captures our heart and our emotions, bringing us into a sense of awe and wonder. That's part of what Paul's praying for there. That's, That's what God desires for us. Do we have those moments, those times, where we are overwhelmed? It goes beyond our our mere comprehension of it. John tells us where this love comes from, its origins. But then he moves beyond that and tells us how this love is demonstrated. Here's what this love looks like. Here's what defines, in a way, this love. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We know what this love is, not because we love God, but that God loved us in a particular way. This agape love, I want to say, is an initiative kind of love. It takes the first step. It seems human love is often a responsive kind of love, a conditional kind of love. I love her because she is kind or she is beautiful. I love him because he has shown interest. I love them because they are popular or in that particular circle or rich or powerful. But I want us to get this. Agape love creates value in its object whether there's any intrinsic value there or not. Think about this. The sun outside shines on the earth, not because the earth is the earth, but because the sun is the sun. God loves you, Because He is He, not because you are you. It did not increase the worth of God, the value of God, by giving His Son. He gave His Son because He is love. This is a love not only to know about or to reflect upon, but to be changed by. God's love was manifest in the sending of His Son that we might live through Him. This past week, while uh, sitting outside under our covered porch, uh, reading to my wife Shelley and talking together, I think it was Monday, the thunderstorms moved in, and they moved in quickly and the rain started coming down harder and harder. It didn't help that the, the gutters were, I think, clogged. So I was kind of moving my chair further and further under the porch. Uh, and it was really loud. And I turned around and I noticed something I guess I hadn't paid close attention to before. And I said to Shelly, what is that? She said, that's a rain chain. Does anybody know what a rain chain is? Some? Okay. Well, it hangs on the corner of our gutter. And it's just a series of brass bulls, one on top of another, chained together. And then that bull has a hole in the bottom. So the rain comes in and then the rain goes through to the next uh, bull. And I thought to myself, that is that is a picture of the church. That is to be a picture of the church. The rain of God's grace is lavish. His love in Jesus Christ is, Christ is poured out. For God so loved the world. And we are called to turn our lives toward Him, to receive his great love, and then to offer that love to another. He's designed us this way. We sing that hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. If we would love one another, be charitable toward our wife or husband, seek to bless the other, A significant question might be raised from this text. Is your life turned and oriented toward this God? In prayer, in reading, in meditating upon the wonderful truths in His Word, thinking upon that which is pure and good and excellent, as Paul tells us to do. If that love is not filling us, consuming us, some other love is going to. A love of self, a love of pleasure, a love of money, a love of comfort. Several other ways we see here, in just verse 9 and 10, the greatness and the glory of this love. One, this love of God caused the mission to send His Son. It says, God sent His Son. Amazing love. The offended party is initiating the reconciliation should be the opposite. Two, notice who is sent. It's not Abraham. It's not one of the patriarchs. It's not a prophet. It's not even an angel. It is His only Son. That word only, monogenē, we have borrowed in English. We get two words from it. Mono, one, and genes, or kind. His one and only Son. That Jesus is a one of a kind person unique divine sharing in the very godhead our sin our situation was so broken that only this one could remedy the problem three we see the greatness of this love and its purpose that we might live through him so two words In this passage, that might serve as takeaways. One centers on God's love for us, the other on our call to love. First, propitiation. John's mentioned this word before in chapter 2. That's a word you don't hear every day. When you're running late for class, work, we know a teacher or boss is going to be upset we likely don't say or think to ourselves, I'm going to have to find a way to make propitiation. We don't speak that way. John's used the word before, and it means to appease one's wrath. Why is propitiation needed for our sin? The answer is that God is not only a God full of grace and mercy kindness and compassion. He is holy and just. Sin is an affront to the holiness of God. And His wrath is His settled disposition toward all sin. We need to remember God's relationship to the world. It does contain common grace. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The rain falls on the believer and the non-believer. But his relationship to those outside of Christ is largely defined by wrath. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their sin suppress the truth. This is why propitiation is so precious and so significant to us. Christ bearing in our place the judgment and wrath of God, receiving Himself what was Due to us. It's not in our everyday vocab, but we should awake every new day with thankfulness that our God smiles. Our God has a bright countenance toward us because of the work of Christ for us. And then a second and final word is the word ought. Not as technical as Propitiation. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That word is not an optional kind of thing. It means we are bound. Remember who we were. We were bound to ourselves, bound in sin. Now we are bound to this God, bound to His love. This is a love that captures people. God sent His Son that we might live through Him. To whom do we need to demonstrate this love? To whom do you need to demonstrate this love? This love of charity, of agape, it takes on various shapes. That's our call, to apply this agape love to our life circumstance. What does this love look like? It sees not first the problem or the ills in others. It sees the good in our brothers and sisters. It sees the godly in them. It speaks well of them. This love speaks well of the body of Christ. This love will fight to forgive. To remove a debt that's being held over another. This love will suffer to help another. This love will serve through a hard time. This love will rejoice in the blessings of others. This love says, I will decrease that Christ may increase, His grace, His gospel, His purposes. And I want to say it is a tremendous encouragement, one of the greatest encouragements to me, uh, to see and to hear the bearing of one another's sufferings and burdens for me as a pastor. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is that law? I think that is the command, many believe, the command to love, to love one another. Let us bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we ask that You would open our hearts and enlarge them, that we would that we'd know in our minds and understand, that we would also feel in our hearts the depth of this love that You have for us. Help us, Lord, not only to manner our lives after it, but to be transformed by it, by the power and working of Your Holy Spirit. May we know more of it. We pray, Lord, that we would we would consider the ways in which we might carry and help one another in, in the burdens that we have. What a what a great opportunity to see this love demonstrated, to show forth the kind of work you've done in our lives. Oh Lord, may we rejoice in and rest in this love that you have for us. We pray that you would bind us together, Lord, as as one people. As you have done, we look to you as our faithful God, continuing to go before us, trusting in you with all of our heart. And Lord, as you do that work in us, we will... Offer, you, offer to you the praise that is due your name, that you are to receive all glory and honor, uh, praise and adoration, now and forever. And we pray this uh, in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.